grab your Bibles for the reading of our text this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verses 33 through 37. If you don't have a Bible, there's a paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't own one, take it home. That's our gift to you. Fall in love with Christ in the Scriptures. Amen? When you get to Matthew 5:33, look up at me and say, Jesus. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Matthew 5, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, 11 o'clock. How are we doing this morning? Good? Good. Hey, before we dive into the sermon, I just have one sort of special announcement. Um, Next Sunday evening, we will be providing the uh, refresh event. And what this is, is exactly what it sounds like. Um, On Sunday mornings, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are a lot of people that make Sunday morning happen. There are people that you don't even see. There are people back there with your baby holding, bouncing your babies. I mean, not like bouncing your babies, but like holding and doing everything like that. And um, what this is, is a service just strictly for our volunteers And we want you to come. We want you to be refreshed. This is a time of corporate prayer. This is a time to gather up maybe as a a community group and pray together. So be sure and mark your calendar for that. That is something that we want to come and just refresh people who serve and make Westside really what it is. Um, We are in our series entitled Jesus Uncensored, and it is just that. We are looking at the words of Jesus uncensored through the Sermon on the Mount. And if you haven't been here, or maybe it's your first time here, or maybe if you have been here the whole time, it's kind of good for us to pause and do a little bit of review. And what we've seen is this man, Jesus Christ, has come and declared that the kingdom of God is now at hand in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 5. And he has declared himself to be king, the very son of God. And he's speaking and preaching with this message and people are just astonished at his authority. And really how he opened the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples is that he described the type of person who is entering into the kingdom of God. Now we understand entering into the kingdom of God is a supernatural act. What Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, that you must be born again to see God's kingdom. But then he announces, remember when we said that the blessed, the beatitudes, almost like the congratulations... Congratulations to all the failures because you've now made the team. Congratulations to the poor in spirit. Congratulations to those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then he shifts his sermon and explains what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. But in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20 is really where the rest of the Sermon on the Mount hinges. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness... Now, righteousness is a big word, but so is pumpkin spice latte, okay? All right? So we can learn some words while we're here at church today. Think righteousness. Think right living. Think right standard of God. And he says, now, unless your life or your right standing exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never 
enter the kingdom of God. John Stott says at that moment there would have been an audible gasp. The scribes and Pharisees, these were the guys that dressed a certain way, that prayed all the time, that did all of these things. And what Jesus has been doing over these past couple of weeks, don't miss this, is he is saying you cannot measure primarily your relationship and right standing with God by your external behavior, but rather by the motive of your heart, which is why he's taken things like anger and lust and divorce, and he says, listen, 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 you cannot judge these by the external actions, but rather by the motive of the heart, and he's constantly saying the heart, the heart, and today Jesus has a radical claim for, the, for, for, for his followers and those who follow him as king, those who are in the kingdom of God, live this certain way. And maybe as a way of an illustration, does the name Raymond Floyd ring any bells to any of you? Maybe if you're a golfer, I try to golf. You know what I mean? I'm not really a golfer, but I try to. Um, Raymond Floyd is a golf hall of fame. He was inducted in 1989. He's won four majors and three senior majors Um, Just an incredible golfer, an incredible man of character, really. Um, He was 43 years old, and he was playing at the 20th Annual Manufacturers Hanover Westchester Classic. And he lost that tournament only by one stroke. One stroke. And as he approached the third hole... He had struck an and just incredible golf shot, which set him up for a birdie putt. Now, not a real birdie, okay? Like, but that's what they call, you know, when you score under what that uh, golf course has told you, how many strokes it should take to get to the hole. And so he had a birdie putt. He putts for it, and it sort of lips out of the cup, and it's just a few feet away. Raymond Floyd approaches the ball, sets his putter head down in order to putt it in for par, And pauses, calls the official over, and tells the official the ball moved. Now, if you know the rules of golf, when a golfer formally addresses the ball and sets his club head down, the ball is now in play. So now anything that happens to that ball is either going to be an advancement or it's going to be a penalty. And Raymond Floyd calls the official over and says, when I address the ball... The ball moved. It didn't even move a full rotation. And the official says, Ray, you know what this means. And Ray goes, I know what it means. Give me a penalty. So the official calls out penalty stroke, rotation of the ball, and Raymond Floyd putts for a bogey. No one saw it. And to add the icing on the cake, Raymond Floyd was uh, in this golf tournament to win $108,000. Nobody saw it. Whenever he was interviewed by the New York Times, he says this, golf's a game in which you don't have referees following you. So you're just not playing golf if you don't play by the rules. And these are the type of things that I try to even teach my sons every day. What? Ray, nobody even saw it. It's a hundred and eight grand, bro. You know what I'm saying? Right? It's a lot of money. There's a word for what we're describing. It's called integrity, honesty. And what Jesus claims today is that type of radical honesty and integrity from those who are followers of Christ. 
And it's interesting, I looked up the word integrity this week. It comes from the word integer, which means wholeness. So if you are a person of integrity, you are a person of wholeness. And Jesus talks about this idea of oaths and swearing by them and doing all of that. And really, honestly, like, you know what I love about our society? It's like constantly always trying to get away from the Bible, but you can't really get away from the Bible. So when you testify in the court of law, you put your hand on the Bible and you say, you know, may I tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do, right? And what's interesting about that is that presupposes what? Think about it. If somebody has to take an oath to say that they're not going to lie, that presupposes that people lie, right? Like, why would you have to say, I'm not going to lie, unless we know, hey, you're probably going to lie up here. You know what I mean? And what Jesus is saying is he paints a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And he says, my followers, they don't need to swear or take an oath. Because their life and their character should show that they are whole. That they are people of integrity. And lying is almost so popular, we don't even know what it is. Lying really is two things. The first thing is speaking something that isn't true, right? That's lying. Two plus two equals five, I promise, I promise. Right? right? It's not true. That's a lie. That's an error, a false truth. But... A lie is not just speaking something that isn't true. A lie is also not saying everything that is true. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, right? Did you eat all of the cookies in the cookie jar? No. I mean, I had like three or four, but I didn't eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. Congratulations, that is a lie. You did not speak all of the truth. But what Jesus says is that his followers are people of integrity, wholeness, and honesty. And what he lays out before us really is why integrity matters, how integrity works, and what integrity costs us, that it costs us something. The first thing that Jesus explains is this, why integrity matters. Why does this even matter? Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now, you know, our, our Quakers, brothers and sisters in Christ, some people say that this also says that you don't need to make an oath even in the court of law, that Jesus forbids that. I don't lean that way because we see God making an oath with himself in the scriptures that Israel will be my people and I swear that I will be their God. We see that Jesus does this as well. We see the apostle Paul gives Timothy a charge that I swear by God. So what is Jesus speaking about here? Well, what the Pharisees and scribes would do to add weight to their statement, or should I say their lie, is that they would swear by certain things. And it almost had, here's what the Pharisees were doing to boil this down. They had levels of truth, and they would categorize their life in little boxes. So if I swear by this, ooh, that's a big deal. But if I swear by this, yo, they got to believe what I'm saying on this. Maybe, um, maybe a scene from a classic movie will help us with this. Right? Because it's not just I, I dare you, right? And in the movie, you got to skip the double dog dare and go straight for the Colossus of Clouds, right? you got to go say it with me. You know, one, two, three, I triple dog dare. Whoop, I got to do it, right? It's, I, this is, has to happen now. This is literally what the scribes and the Pharisees were doing. They were saying there were levels of truth. So if I say by this, oh, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. 
But notice the progression in what Jesus knocks down in their argument. He says everything that they swear by, God is there. Why do you swear by Jerusalem? For that's the great city of the king. Why do you swear by this? Because God is there. Why do you swear by this? Because God is there. And here's what Jesus is challenging. To be a follower and to be in the kingdom of God, you understand that your life is a rhythm and it's a relationship with me. So you are not a certain way on Sunday or a certain way at community group or a certain way at redemption group and then you're a different way when you file your taxes. Yeah, that one went over about the same at the 9 a.m. service too, right? Right? What Jesus is saying, there is a wholeness, integer, an integrity about a follower of Christ. Um, Pastor Tim Keller is a pastor up in New York, and he's made a profound impact on my life. And as I was reading this week, he told a story about some intensive counseling that he was doing with a married couple in his church. And the man had committed adultery on his wife. And the man went so far as to have the mistress in the home as well. So it was a very, very tangled, very, very bloody situation. And there was just a lot going on in light of that. And as Tim Keller began to ask questions, the man said something very interesting. He said, I knew what I was doing was wrong the whole time. But before the mistress came over, I would go around the house and I would put pictures of my wife down or, or hide them even hide pictures of my family. And Tim Keller said, why, why did you do that? He said, because I felt like my wife was, was watching during that time. And then Tim Keller, as a good pastor, leaned forward from his desk and he said, you're mistaken. God was watching you. And then explains it this way. You can't turn God's picture over. A picture is a representation of a person who is not present, but God is always present. There's no place in the world where he is not personally present. If you understood that, you would begin to become a person of integrity. Here's what I'm trying to say. God is with us in everything that we do, so we should be honest in everything that we do. Now, I can tell a lot about your relationship with God as to how you respond to that. If you respond in fear, then you work out of legalism because now God is a big bad God and he's going to come get me and he's going to come do that. You're trying to categorize your life. But for those who love the gospel, it is refreshing to know that our heavenly father is even there when we are making errors and that he is present with us. It is a deep and beautiful motivation. But maybe some of you, you know, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're peeking over the fence at Christianity. And really what I'm speaking about is an absolute morality, um, which is pretty interesting um, for people who don't believe in absolutes. And they say all moral values are equal, and the word all is an absolute. So it's a paradoxical statement. But anyway, and so what, what, what's the big deal about being dishonest? And the word dis means half, Right? What does dishonesty really destroy? And listen, this is something we should be teaching our kids, parents, right? Like, why is lying wrong? Not just because it's bad, 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 wrong, 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 sin, 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 and you should lie. You're going to raise a little Pharisee like that, right? Why? What does this affect in our life? Well, the first thing that dishonesty destroys is community. Community. Hello, right? What does a community of people look like who cannot trust each other? It looks like a jungle, right? 
where one chimpanzee beats the other one over the head in order to take the bananas because I don't trust nothing that you say and it is a survival of the fittest. And it's also what will destroy a family because what does a family operate off of? Love and trust. And when you take that away, now what our transactions happen is more like business transactions. It destroys a community. And listen to me, I am not weary from an outside attack against the church of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I am not worried about an outside attack. What keeps me up at night is an inside conflict within the church. Because what destroys a church is lies and gossip from the inside. That's what will inevitably destroy a community. And listen, some of you know this. You've grown up in a family where a mother or a father had a deep, dark secret. And we had to operate out of lies in order to cover that up. How's the relationship now? There are literally ripples that happen. Dishonesty destroys community. But not just that, but it also destroys identity. It destroys the identity of the person who is dishonest and telling lies, either speaking things that aren't true or not saying all that is true, right? And so we feel like we teach our kids this on the story of the little boy who cried wolf, right? But nobody ever ends the story properly with their kids because what happens at the end? The wolf eats the little boy, right? For some reason, I never hear parents fully explain that story, right? I'm just waiting for a day for a little kid to go, Mommy, what happened to the little boy? Well, Johnny, um, the little boy was ripped limb from limb by the wolf because he, right? It destroyed the identity of the person. And listen, if you continue to be a person of dishonesty and lie, it will destroy your life. And can we just be honest in church? God forbid. You're exhausted. You're exhausted because a lie requires another lie requires another lie. And what you're hoping is that a lie will produce life, but it never does. It only takes it. And Jesus says in the book of John, you are like your father, the devil, for he is the father of lies. So when I operate out of that dishonesty, those are harsh words. It destroys community, it destroys identity, but it also destroys dignity, human dignity. I mean, there's nothing worse, and that could be more insulting, to look at someone created in the image and likeness of God and look at them square in their eye and lie to them. That tells them, you are of no value to me, and I am much more important than you. That's what we need to be teaching our kids Listen, that first and foremost, that lying isn't about mommy and daddy and spankings, right? Oh, y'all don't believe in that? It's 2017, bro. You better get a grip. You know what I mean, right? You clearly don't have kids. No, I'm just teasing, right? It's not just about, oh, getting in trouble. It's about our relationship with God. Because how can we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself if we love ourselves more than both of them? And that's what you do whenever you lie. And then lastly, this. Lying and dishonesty destroys reality. Um, If you continue in that life and in that lie, listen to me, 
at some point, you will have to justify that lie so much that you will begin to believe that false narrative. So when someone who loves you and sits down with you in truth and says this in your life will ultimately end in destruction, you view those people as harsh and as unloving because you yourself have believed this lie. And many of you know what I'm talking about. When you begin to believe the false narrative so much that it literally you have to justify it as your own reality. Listen, this is why integrity matters. Not just because it's a God issue, but let's make it very practical because it's also a social and practical issue for you in your life as well. But how does it work? How does this work? Because like, quite frankly, this isn't the best teaching for you to get ahead in business, right? Because it is a dog-eat-dog world and mentality out there. And Jesus tells us that in verse 37. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Now listen, anything more than this comes from evil. Now, I think that Jesus' words here are more provocative for Christians than they are non-Christians. And I believe it's one of the things that non-Christians peg Christians to the wall about all the time. Oh, man, yeah, sure, I'll sign up, man, volunteer. Woo, yeah, buddy, I got that, and I'm not coming. Oh, man, I'd love to be a part of that. Sounds great. When's that? Oh, 30, 30, 6, 30. Yeah, man, I'll be there. And oh, listen, I know stuff comes up. I know it's life, but can I press in a little bit, right? Everybody leaves offended today. Welcome to Westside, okay? I was more burdened looking at social media and everybody saying praying for Vegas, praying for Vegas, praying for Vegas, sharing all of this stuff. Not because of praying for Vegas. My question is, did you? Did you? Or was it like socially cool to share it? Or did you sit in the brokenness and let your yes be yes and your no be no? I became massively convicted of this in my own life a number of years ago. I was traveling um, to Denver, Colorado to speak at an event with another youth pastor. And um, Ron John is his name. And he's just like his name sounds, Ron John. Like, this guy is awesome. I mean, the Holy Spirit is so on this guy that he can be standing at line and hucks, strike up a conversation with someone, lead it to Jesus, and someone gets saved. I mean, just buying a big gulp. Like, that's Ron John. Man, this guy loved Jesus. And so we're sitting there, and Denver International Airport is crazy. It is huge. I had just gone through line with a full tube of toothpaste. Oh, you want to, like, hear the fear of God, go through the line with a full tube of toothpaste, right? That lady put, I had to squirt it out in the trash can. I was like, I'm so sorry, right? So I'm, like, a little bit frazzled, and so we're going through. And I was reading a book. It was by Pastor John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And on the cover of the book is, like, this big bloody cross and Jesus on it. So I'm carrying this through the airport, and people are like, oh, that guy, you know, reading that book. And so we sit down, and we're on the airplane, all the hustle and bustle. And the stewardess comes over, and she was a little odd at first, and then she said, I need to ask you a question. She was primarily speaking to Ron John because clearly he was more saved than me. But, um, and so she was speaking to him and she goes, are, are, you, Christ, are you Christians? Ron John goes, yeah, we're, we're youth pastors. And she goes, can I ask you something? Can you pray for my daughter? I haven't seen her in a number of years and she has an addiction. I'm pretty sure she lives on the streets and I'm pretty sure that my daughter's a prostitute. And I pray for God every day to chase her down. So if, 
if you could, just pray for my daughter. You know what I did? Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes, ma'am. I went back to reading my book. And Ron John leans over to me in a 747 jet and goes, do you want to open in prayer or close in prayer? I go, I'm sorry, is this the captain speaking? Like, well, I mean, come again? He goes, do you want to open in prayer or close in prayer? And I was like, well, I'm super convicted now, so how about you open us, Ron John, (laughs) you know? And Ron John prayed fire from heaven. I know that that wherever that young lady was, she knew Jesus was chasing after her after Ron John prayed. And I began to pray, and I was so ashamed and so embarrassed that I just confessed to God. Thank you for having Ron John next to me because I don't even know if I would have prayed for this young lady right now. So now as a discipline in my life, if I stand out there in that lobby and you come up to me and you say, hey, pray for me, listen, we're going to have church right there and I'm going to put my hands on you and I'm going to pray for you right then and there. Because listen, the key to integrity is consistency. Consistency. That's what makes integrity what it is. And what Jesus is saying is followers of mine, let their yes be yes and their no be no. They mean what they say and they say what they mean. Now, I have to say something to some of you because some of y'all are like, this sermon is for me. Because if you want the truth, just come ask me and I'll tell it like it is. Well, I'll blow your hair back, boy. Right? I got some for you too, Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, speak the truth in love. Listen, if you're right in what you say, but wrong in how you say it, you are wrong even if you're right. And when it is filtered through love, all of a sudden the tone changes and everything about the conversation changes. The key to integrity is consistency. That's what Jesus is saying about his followers. That there's a rhythm in their life. That they understand the relationship and presence of God. And that I can't live my life in boxes because that's exhausting. And listen, Jesus is coming to set you free from that. He knows what that heavy laden burden is for you. To wear that mask. But he also tells us what integrity costs. Jesus is very practical. He knows that it will cost us something. Look at verse 33. Again, you have heard what it is said from old to those of old. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The word perform there, underline that in your neighbor's Bible for them. Make sure they're still awake. Circle that for them. Perform in the language that Jesus is saying means payment. It means it will cost you something. That when you let your yes be yes and your no be no, and you live a life of integrity, it will cost you something. There will need to be a payment on that transaction. And I believe that there are two primary things that integrity will cost you. The first one speaks, listen, I'm preaching to me. Okay, I pre- like y'all think y'all are getting it? I got it all week, okay? The first one is Approval. Approval. Maybe Many of you don't know this. My wife is probably the only person who knows how deeply insecure I am. I'm insecure in what I'm doing right now. 
And I have to find anchors and truths in God's word, like in 1 Corinthians 1, where the Apostle Paul says, I do not speak for the approval of man, or I would not be a preacher of the gospel. And sometimes, listen, my own sinfulness is knowing that if I tell the truth, even in love, someone will not like me. And my idol in that moment is approval. But I got something for you too, and it's control. You see, primarily why people lie, it's it's motivated out of fear. Lying is motivated out of fear. Fear of either loss of approval or loss of control. So here's how this goes. Let's say you've got the person here um, whose fear is approval, right? Their idol is the value of people, right? I'm in this category. And then you've got the control person over here, and their life is maintained and their schedule, and you've got to go through them in order to do that. And they don't really ask God to do anything because they already know what God's going to do because their will and God's will are the same thing, right? You know what I'm saying? So that's that person right over here, okay? And then, you know, it's the classic, like, hey, did you get my message about the thing? Right? Here's the approval guy. Oh, man, I didn't get the message, man. I, the update. You get the new iOS update? Man, just like all my messages and AT&T. Golly, man, I got to go. I got to talk to AT&T because actually deep down inside, there's a five-year-old little boy who's dying for approval, and I don't want to tell you that I got the message and didn't want to come. That's approval. The control person knows that they got the message, but they didn't want to interfere with the schedule, so therefore they'll tell the person, I didn't get the message. Are we preaching today? Are we talking? And what we have to understand is that will cost you something. Listen, business owners, listen to me. Please listen. This is very practical if you own your own business. Being a person of integrity might not get you the biggest, fastest, best paying job when you bid it, but it will establish a career for you. It will establish a career. You may not be at the top of the food chain, but you will live a life of wholeness and a life of integrity. Parents, please listen to me. What your kids are watching constantly on you is, are they a person of integrity? Is mama and daddy consistent in this thing? Or does mama and daddy's behavior change when certain people are around? Our kids pick up on that. And sometimes through the mouth of babes, the Holy Spirit works through a three-year-old and you just get convicted, right? Just through a three-year-old little kid. And Jesus knows what this will cost us. But I have to be careful how I close this sermon. Because I could just pray right now in the sermon, and you know what would happen? I would pray, and then I would send you out, and I would send you out like little Pharisees. You would just go out. Check your list. Well, my yes was yes, and my no was no. Oh, God loves me more because I did what I said. God loves me because what I did, right? That's a Pharisee. The difference is the motivation. Why do we want to, listen, integrity, integer, whole. Why do we want to be people who are whole and honest in what we do? Our motivation has to be Christ. And in John's gospel, he he tells us that Jesus Christ, the only perfect person, as Hebrew says, he was tempted and tried in every way, yet without sin. Christ never sinned. He never had a sinful thought, for he was the perfect lamb that was slain with pure blood upon our behalf. And in John chapter 18, he says this to the people that are beating him and putting a crown of thorns on his head. If what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, Why do you strike me? Do you see what's happening? Why is John telling us this? John is showing us 
that the only way that you can be a person of integrity is that you have to first be honest about your own dishonesty. And that Jesus is the only whole person. Later on in John's gospel, he stands before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said that it is so. And Pontius Pilate says, is this the truth? And Jesus says, and doesn't answer. And Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? And he missed embodying the very person of truth. And then Pontius Pilate goes out to the crowd and says this, I find no guilt in him. That Jesus was not wrong. That he was the only whole person of integrity. But then he says this. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And in history, listen to this. They cried out again. No. Not this man. But Barabbas. But Barabbas was a robber. What's John trying to tell us? That Jesus exchanges places. Jesus is the only whole person. The only whole honest person. The only person of integrity. Barabbas is a robber. He is a dishonest person. He makes lies and he steals and he cheats. And he's only worried about himself. But when I read that passage, all I can hear is myself saying, No! Give us Barabbas! Because if you give me Barabbas and Barabbas is always around, I can always blame Barabbas. And I can always say, well, at least I'm not like Barabbas. But if you give me Christ, I have to deal with myself. If you give me the only whole person and the only whole honest man, then I see the reflection and I see my own dishonesty. Because listen to me, no one lies to you more than you do. You are your own worst liar. So how do we do this? How do we become people of whole? How do we become followers of Christ? It's this. You become a person of integrity when you see that Jesus paid the penalty for your dishonesty. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response, and you're going to come to the table. We do this every Sunday. I got one message. Every single Sunday. And it's you're broken and you need Christ. It's every Sunday. It's all I've got. It's the only hope. And I believe that it is the message that will change the world. But when you come to this table, notice the bread. Oh, look at the bread because the bread's not whole. The bread's broken. And why is the bread broken? Because upon the night in which he was betrayed, he grabbed a loaf of bread and he raised it above his head and he broke it and he blessed it. And he says, eat this for this is my body. That was broken for you. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ himself, the only whole person, breaks himself under the very wrath of God and absorbs that blow. So then we can live lives of wholeness and lives of integrity. So when we come to this table, we see the broken pieces that represent the broken pieces of our life. But oh, don't miss this. God makes masterpieces from broken pieces. And we walk away from the table and we realize that he took my penalty and my shame, my lying, my dishonesty, not just saying things that aren't true, but not saying all the things that are true in all the relationships. And then there will be a day that we're going to sing that I will stand before the throne of God. And the only name that will be on my lips is Jesus Christ. 
That is the only whole name. That's the only way that we will stand in completeness. So this first step today to integrity is to be honest about your own dishonesty. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and Holy Spirit, have your way with us. God, we're so thankful for the good news to know I can be free from this. God, there are many people in here who are exhausted. They're so tired from living a life behind a mask. The crazy thing is you already know. You know the secret. You know the confession, yet you love us still. And you beg for us to lay down the mask so you can fully embrace us. May we be people of integrity, of wholeness, knowing that you were broken upon our behalf. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Convict those that need convicting and comfort those that need comforting and let us come to the table and find grace. We pray this in the mighty and in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand?